Welcome to the Asia Tech Podcast. I'm Gustavo Liu, and I'm joined today by Alvin Chong from Lambas. Hi, Alvin. Hello, pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for having me. How have you been? Um, excellent, top of the world. Just busy, busy, so busy, busy doing working. startups. Absolutely, <laughs> uh, it's never, never a spare moment for this. Yeah, and you, you actually come up with your pitch deck now. Everything is ready to rock and roll. I have. It's been quite the journey. Um, you know, you never taught. I never actually taught all this in in school. You know, yeah. there's no entrepreneur school back in my day. So yeah. to have learned everything from scratch, it's yeah. exciting. Well, let's start off by understanding a little bit about you, actually, as a founder, sure. right? Because that is the real, true essence of what makes you entrepreneur mm. um, that you don't get to see on pitch decks or you don't get to hear about when you are at a fundraise. Um, so can you tell us a little bit of why? Why did you start doing um, entrepreneurship? Mm, right. So... I never sought out to be an entrepreneur, right? Um, I wrote about this in my founder's story in my blog. Um, when I was 15, I took a, uh, a job at a jewelry company doing data entry. At that time, they paid $15 an hour, which back in 2008 was, was a lot of money per hour. I did it for one day, about eight hours. Uh, I stepped out of the office, went to the lift lobby and just puked my guts out all over into the bin. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's what I knew, like, you know, um, menial, manual labor jobs, not manual labor, but like menial labor. And yeah, just working, trading my time for money, being told what to do, that wasn't for me. And yeah, you know, it's very, very visceral reaction, very gut reaction. Like I never thought about it. Uh, yeah. I never like complained or, or whatever. It just, just what Was happened. it more like the part that you've been told what to do and there was like a, that structure kind of format? No, it was the mindlessness of it, just dragging from Excel sheet to Excel to you know from one one screen to another, oh. over and over, and then I don't know. It just maybe it was just the dizziness, but I knew that you know from then on, an office job, that job was not for me. Okay. Yeah, I did explore other uh, more physical jobs in mm. the future, but again, didn't take to it. So I've never had a full time job. Okay. Um. So the corporate world is essentially out of question. Pretty much, yes. Right. I didn't I didn't do very well in the academic world either. Okay. Yeah. Um So what do you mean like you have you didn't do very well in the academic world? Um in terms of like education wise, um in, in terms of going to school, uh university, you didn't go to university. I did go to university, uh University College Dublin, I have a bachelor in business management. Mm -hmm. Uh but so Again, in my honest story, I write that being uh, born and raised in Singapore, <clears throat> the Singapore um, academic world is very, very strict and very rigorous. You know, you wake up every day at about 5 a.m., 6 a.m., you mm -hmm. have to be in school by 7 a.m., mm -hmm. then you're only off work at, uh, off school at 1 p.m., and then it's tuition all the way to 4, 5, 6, barely any time for activities except academia. Yeah. So and that's for ten years from when you're six years old to sixteen. Yeah. That's a lot tough, a long tough decade, and you know that's not. Uh, I did find out that's not the way in other countries. Mm -hmm. A bit more relaxed. Mm. Yeah. So. But was it more like the the essence of being relaxed and and being control of your timing, or was it more because you wanted to take make decisions, your own decisions? You wanted to you know essentially run things under your own terms? 
I think instinctively for myself, it felt that it wasn't the way to go for me. You know, everybody has their own aptitudes, their own uh, uh, talents and nature. And for me, that just wasn't, you know, following half hour periods, one hour periods, learning uh, subject after subject and for things that I wasn't interested in. Yeah. Yeah. So I know instinctively I knew that there had to be a better way. Yeah. And at what point did you decide that, okay, now I'm going to go and start my own business? So um, I'm an aggressive inline rollerblader, which means uh, I rollerblade in the skate park X Games kind of style. Mm -hmm. uh, I started when I was 14 and yeah, that just gave me a lot of freedom. And when I was 17, I started exploring uh, importing and retail of rollerblade parts and rollerblades here. That's when I learned, you know, hey, business is actually not that easy, not that hard to figure out by yourself, even with no formal education. Awesome. Uh, it's, it's pretty much logic. You, you know, just go and do it, right? Exactly. It's just like you just have to figure it out. Ask for a price. If the price is low enough, bring it in, sell it a bit higher. Yeah. Figure it out. Yeah. And so you, you discovered the secrets of trading, essentially, of importing things. Exactly. Where did you buy from? So uh, I knew the rollerblade brands and I just contacted the distributor straight away. Of course, yeah. you know, when you send an email, no one knows that you're just a 15, 17 year old boy, mm -hmm. no company uh, asking for price. You know, they send you a price list and then you have a look and you say, yeah, give me, give me a couple of dozens of those and you're good. So that essentially was what we would say is your first attempt to entrepreneurship, right? You sort of figure out that you could buy and sell stuff. Um, yeah. But then how did that come into trend? Did you do any other businesses after that? Yeah. So I ran that skate shop for about two to three years. Uh, didn't make a loss, but of course, uh, the market here wasn't big enough to have a decent profit either. Um, but it gave me a lot of valuable experience and then I closed it down shortly after. Mm -hmm. Then um, one of the uh, the pro rollerbladers in the USA, you know, the very influential in the world stage, they started playing with this thing called the kendama, the Japanese wooden toy, which is basically uh, three wooden cups and a ball and a stick and so to trap the stick, the ball into the cups. Yeah. Yeah. So and then I was the first one to bring that into Singapore and then uh, it all it went viral, it caught on. Yeah. Uh, all the primary and secondary schools as uh, kids started playing it about two years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I apologize to all primary and secondary <laughs> school teachers for that. Yeah, but it was very interesting in, in you know, another, taking business as another level up. Mm -hmm. You know, having a big market and trying to make a product go viral. Yeah. So yeah. that, that kind of proved to be more as a, a, would you say it's more like a fad where there was a period in time and then caught up and kind of just died off over time or, or how did it end? Yeah, so with my rollerblading, you know, it was, it taught me how to first cater to a niche market. With the Kendama, it taught me how to take a, a product and sell it to the greater market. When it is, it might be a fad, sure, but most products are fads and yeah. it teaches you how to, to you know, uh, wipe, wide scale distribution, yeah. like uh, bubble tea, etc. Yeah. You know, even in their fats, even when they die down, there's still a niche that to cater to. Yeah. So And so how 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 did that business end? Um I had distributorship to several uh big retailers and then yeah. there was a 
niche shop here, which uh, Dao this kind of toys, like Kandamas, Yoyo, etc. Okay. I sold the the rights off to them. Okay. Yeah, and then that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. I mean, it's not a big exit, sure, but it's decent. Well, it's it's your second startup, yeah. right? That a lot of um, entrepreneurs, there's actually statistics go to show that um, on average they s- have to fail two startups before they get a successful, you know, two or three startups before mm. they succeed in one. Right. And you've actually seen that decent size exit and which gave you a lot more valuable experiences a lot right yeah. than that actual value of dollar account yeah. money in your bank account although the m- money in your bank account was nice as well mm, <laughs> it was uh, nothing, nothing much to speak of but you know it's something to show for it and you know if, if, if it's not negative then okay yeah sure. so was that the trigger to sort of begin something towards what it's Lambas today um, okay so let me just explain what Limbus is real quick. Yeah. Limbus is a, uh, I don't know if you can see the camera. All right, so it's Limbus. Yeah. It's a meal, basically a functional food, uh, powdered food, mm-hmm. uh, basically a meal replacement powder. Mm-hmm. Powder you put into water and shake, and it's a full meal in one drink. So you drink that and you don't have to eat. All right. So powder into water, yep. shake this, and then drink, and that's it. That's your lunch, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, I'm very aware of my own um, mortality. You know, I'm very aware that I'm going to die. And mm-hmm. as such that I analyze my day quite meticulously. I don't like to spend any time on anything which I don't enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I found that in daily life, right, commuting is your biggest waste of time. Okay. Okay. So traveling from home to office or wherever and, and back. Okay, second biggest waste of time is um, the process of obtaining food, mm-hmm. which is say from home to restaurant, from office to restaurant. Or the right. queues and the whole exactly. center. <laughs> right, your lunch, your lunch, say you work in office, uh, your lunch hour is an hour, an hour and a half. Yeah. You spend the entire hour, hour and a half going to get food. Uh, the amount of time you actually spend eating yeah, 15, 20 minutes at most. The rest yep. of this is just in the process. So I figured, you know, that happens about three times a day. Yep. If you can cut out the hour, or you can save that hour three times a day, three hours a day, adds up over five, six days. Yeah. It adds up to it a lot. Actually, that that is interesting what you pointed out because from a company's point of view, right, mm. they always want to hire more productive staff. Yeah. And the fact that you have a lot of breaks, I mean, not even counting like smoking breaks and all of that, mm. but like just food alone, right? Mm-hmm. If if you allow for breakfast and lunch, and then by the time beyond productivity, you go home to see your children yeah. or see your family, mm. you still have to go and kill and buy food at certain um, stores. It is exactly what you're saying. It's mm. a lot of time wasted. Yeah not just eating but also queuing up and and not only that there's a lot of the mental energy that you always spend thinking about what should i have for lunch uh or dinner or breakfast you know mm-hmm. there's no there's no base option yeah to go to but that's also part of the enjoyment i mean people like to sort of have choices the the ability to have different choices that absolutely but um I use this analogy that when uh, kind of like transport, you know, taxis, you know, there's, you mm-hmm. can always, there's lots of methods of transportation, walking, bus, uh, 
at what have you. Yeah. But when you want to get a job done, you want to get from point A to point B fast, you call an Uber or Grab or a taxi. Yeah. You don't think about it. You know, you know that's, that, that gets job done. Yeah. So I figured that you know, there's no, there's no um, base option for that. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of like when Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs, you know, they wear the same thing every single day mm-hmm. because they don't want to waste mental energy on thinking of what to wear. Yeah. There wasn't an option for that. Okay. Uh, until about 2013, mm-hmm. um, this company called Soylent uh, came out in the USA. Um, they started off with quite a bit of publicity. They launched a crowdfunding campaign and yeah. they got $875,000 in pre-orders, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Even before a single product had been been ordered. Created, right? Exactly. And that their target was 100000 so already immense demand. Yeah, that's power of crowdfunding. You know when you are addressing the right problem mm-hmm. when you when before even you started producing the product, you essentially have put it onto the crowd. Yeah. And this is one of the things that we advocate a lot as well yeah. um, about crowdsourcing. Right? Yeah. You look for um, the crowd for funding is one aspect, but the other thing is that with that funding you get that validation and it's essentially what they wanted to prove is that validation before they go to market. That's, that's the dream, you know, having both funding and validation even yeah. before you, the crowd essentially hands you the company. Exactly. Yeah. It's better than, than say you have one investor that gives you money yeah. and then you're, uh, oftentimes what people say is that your first customers are your visionaries, right? Because yeah. they're the ones that believed in you. Mm-hmm. So could you just one step back, um, just talk a little bit about how how did you go from like the meal that you observed about, you know, that the time wasted and all of that mm. going into like, oh my God, like I'm going to do something like Soylent in Singapore. Okay. So uh, I read about Soylent in 2013 and I was like, holy shit, this is the exact <laughs> product that I need, you know, because this solves my problem. Yeah. And so I tried to order and then, you know, because of the immense demand in the USA, mm-hmm. uh, at first, they didn't even allow shipping out of the USA. And when they finally launched, mm-hmm. uh, you had to wait six to nine months mm-hmm. from your order to arrive out of the USA. And I was like, I, I can't wait that long. You know, if It's if probably expired, like depending exactly, on how long. Or, or whatever, you know, it's already, if you've already waved this in front of my face and then you say, oh, I can't have it. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not, I'm not having it. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, you know, it can't be, um, the, the theory is that, you know, if you reduce all the nutrients, you know, your, your protein, fats, carbohydrates, mm-hmm. vitamin minerals, down to the base components, and then you just ingest them. Is that not the same as having uh, the actual nutrients themselves? That's a theory. So, and did you go like started looking at the ingredients of what soil, what what composed of something that uh, that is required on a meal replacement? Yes. Um, so the founder Rob Reinhardt, he wrote a very detailed blog post about how he did it. Um, he was an electrical engineer training but you know as an engineer he just broke down all the food because it's all about engineering so anyway then he detailed how he did it and he put it in such a way that uh, anybody all over the world could make their own so that's how I did it I followed uh, made my own recipe sourcing my ingredients and then I thought you know if I have this problem surely everybody is human as well everybody has to eat everybody doesn't have time could this be a business and it's fascinating because you you didn't come from that background. No, you not came at all. from a business background. Yeah. And then now you're sort of posed with this question of timing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, all 
problems come out of necessity, right? That's yeah. how startups uh, are created. But then with you, it's like, it's a completely different area, which is nutrition now that you're stepping on. Mm-hmm. How did you feel at that point in time? Was there a level of uncertainty or was it sort of something like when you were doing your rollerblade skates, uh, you know, that export import, you didn't quite understand it. So now you you kind of stepping on similar kind of grounds. So, yeah, so I knew nothing about nutrition at all, way out of my depth. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, I had a nutritionist friend mm-hmm. who helped me out with the skeleton of the recipe. Then uh, I found a food technologist whose job it is to design recipes like this. Yep. Then finally, uh, I found a factory manufacturer yeah. who had a R&D team led by a doctor in nutrition and mm-hmm. they f- finished off the recipe. Um, How did you meet this nutritionist? Uh, nutritionist was my friend in Polytechnic. But the the manufacturer, how did you meet them? Because uh, it sounded like if you were to ask me to yeah. go and find for a, manufa- a food yeah. manufacturer, yeah. like I would think, you know, how many fire hoops do I have to jump before I find one? So thanks to Google, you know, yeah. most, most, uh, most OEM food manufacturers are online nowadays. You mm-hmm. can just hop on. But then, of course, um, you have to find a, a reputable one or yeah. someone that you trust. And of course, there's a lot of trial and error. Uh, so many things can go wrong along the way. How many did you meet before you came across? Because these are somewhat fundamentally some of the basic challenges that yeah. when you're doing product development, mm-hmm. right? Who do you trust? Exactly. Where do you look for? Yeah, the internet can tell you a million things. Exactly. But at the same time, and we have this talk that we always uh, you know, look up for the internet as a new supply, yeah. uh, the, the, supl- the supply chain. Yeah. But down to the core you still have to trust your guts, right? Yeah. It's about that sort of connections with the people and like whether they are, especially when it comes to food, mm. a lot of that kind of trust and hygiene and, and sort of like the origin of where especially it was Especially the overseas. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So your Lembas is actually produced in Singapore. That's right. It's um, based and manufactured in Singapore. Okay. Are the ingredients, do you know where the ingredients come from? Ingredients are sourced all over Asia. Okay. And we are blended here in Singapore. Awesome. But it all goes through the... Uh, HSA's approval. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we can brand ourselves as made in Singapore. So since since it's already approved here, you essentially you just put the quality, the the, the ingredients together, right? Yes, and we do also have some ingredients that are from from Singapore. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah, you mean they're produced here? Produced here. Yes. Oh wow. I mean, there's there's dozens of ingredients in the blend. Yeah, okay. So, so would you name like some? Of, what are some of the like interesting ingredients that you would find in in Lembas that? Um, you wouldn't, you know, find in a normal sort of protein drink. So a lot of people are confused among, you know, what's the difference between a protein shake, uh, meal replacements, limbas, etc. What I wanted was a full meal in one drink. Um, Right now, all the products in the market, they are meal replacements, they are by huge uh, supplement uh, companies. Don't, you don't know what's in them, you don't trust them. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of filler, a lot of additives, sugar, etc. And yeah, you just basically don't trust them. Okay. But I wanted a full meal in a drink uh, with no gimmicks, you know, all the nutrients you need, no more, no less. And that was what drew me to soil in the first place because they were so transparent with the process and yeah. it seemed to be what I needed. Yeah. Okay. Which uh, the supplement countries, companies couldn't couldn't give a promise. Yeah, mm. and then you you develop this product. Ultimately, you needed to use the World Wide Web to go and start reaching out to customers. So that can you talk to us about the process from going from product development to actual distribution? 
from product development. So um, going back to what you said about finding the manufacturers, I think I estimate I reached out to about maybe 10 to 15 manufacturers, yeah. you know, all of from Singapore, um, Malaysia, Thailand, China, and, you know, just whittling down to a handful. Mm-hmm. Then things that with um, any, any hardware or software manufacturer tell you, you know, if you're overseas, the hardest thing is just getting the prototype together. Yeah. A um, lot of back and forth on on samples, what do you need, you know, adjusting the taste, etc. So all in all, we spent about three years in R&D. Wow. Uh, yeah, two years with a Malaysian manufacturer and then uh, they turned the terms, where we, we almost, we have already finalized the sample. They said, yeah. this is what we want. They yeah. sent us contract and so uh, these are not the terms we, we agreed on. Then they said like, too bad, take it or leave it. Yeah. Then we said, no, we can't, we can't work with this and then we went for a Singapore manufacturer yeah. But the thing is that two years of R and D went down the drain just like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but luckily we went for Singapore manufacturer, and then uh, because it's localized, we got that done. And we really knew what we wanted, so we got it set up way faster. Yeah, I think there's the challenges with cross border mm. manufacturing, right? Yeah. Especially the supply chain aspect of it. When you're dependent on another country, that is where the challenges are are, are very real. Yeah. Um, is when you come to terms and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, when you s- find a similar p- trustworthy provider here locally, mm. then that collaboration can really speed things very fast. So I think it's a trade-off is between price and quality. Mm-hmm. But you know, being a food product, um, you don't get second chances. And you can compromise on price, not at all. on quality, right? No. You definitely can compromise. Yeah, and and taste. So yeah. we knew that you know we wanted to we get a very first try or. Not, not at all. Yeah. And then on your process of um, actually reaching out to your customers, because mm. right now you, you've been spending the past year or so um, promoting the product. You're mm. using a lot of technology for that. Mm. It's not you use your brick and mortar. In fact, you don't have a brick and mortar, right? No, you don't have a shop. Yeah. No. Could you talk to us a little bit about the technology side? I mean, this is the Asia Tech podcast. <laughs> we, have, we do have to address a little bit about the tech. But the interesting thing here is that you've developed this product and you know a lot of founders out there they're thinking about some of the more tr- traditional sort of e-commerce platform but then mm. you did it a little bit different can you tell us a little bit how you did it so i would say that now more than ever you know if you want to go into business it's easier and cheaper to set up shop um yeah to monetize your passion mm-hmm. than ever before in in history you know, if you want to set up a Shopify online shop, it's um, $25 a month. Um, just stick whatever you want to sell on there and then drive traffic to it and then you, s- you see your sales start coming in and uh, easy. Yeah. As long as what you're selling is, is uh, has value. Yeah. So I think the most important thing is to um, leverage your network and mm-hmm. look for information, you know, if you want to go into business and you don't, you haven't studied business, uh, you have to educate yourself. But the thing is that there's so much information that's just out it's there. It's all over the place. All over the place. You know, it's incredible. You can't, can't actually get away from it. You know, yeah. It's people are shoving it down your throat. Almost. So you, you talked a little bit about that network and that mm. is an interesting bit, right? Mm-hmm. Because that network now is sort of redefined with the introduction of so social media which I noticed that you do a lot as well because the social media is what you depend on. 
in terms of building the um, influencer status to yeah. brand yourself as a thought leader. In the old times when people used to think of like starting a business, they want to be thought leaders. Mm -hmm. They will brand themselves in that particular, they become no keynote speakers or they will go and participate in certain type of talks. Mm -hmm. But to your generation, which I would say more, I would I hate the word millennials, but I would say more like the younger generation, which is the the new um, sort of leaders that are coming out, that are leaving school, are coming to society to mm -hmm. work harder, mm -hmm. and that's essentially the 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 range of people that you are, are you are everything from athletes to actual working um, staffs, right? Yes. You are using a lot of social. Um, uh, um, platforms to reach out to this community. Can you tell us a little bit how you how you do that, and how the results has been? So I think in the past the bottleneck was um, reach, right? It was uh, mass marketing. You had to put an ad in newspaper, and you couldn't target people. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, your your basically your, your content had to be very broad in order to reach the the most amount of people to appeal to the most amount of people. But now there's a now now reach is not the bottleneck. It's um the the quality of content, the originality, and so I think there's a lot of opportunity for people to just start gathering a lot of data points, yeah, form original ideas, form original thought, then put it out, and then establish your own reputation as that. Right, and that's how you kind of slowly build the network. You talked about data point. It's is this information that you use certain platforms to collect um, and be able to analyze that, so that you have a more targeted approach. I would say last time there were a lot of people saying the same things over and over again, but because they were all distributed um, geographically all over the world, mm -hmm. right? But now with uh, the advent of the internet, the more people are saying the same things over again and people are reading the same things over and over again so they get tired yeah and then you know there's nothing that nothing worth reading so how do you differentiate yourself from that see something different see something worth taking note of yeah um, see, see, see something that builds uh, upon what has already been said yeah and then that's how you establish yourself as a thought leader and you know establish uh how, how you build quality content and as a value true influencer so it's sort of like what f in finance, I mean, they would say, you know, go with the trend. The trend is your friend. So yeah. you, you look at what are the data points that are out there on mm -hmm. social, various social media platforms, mm -hmm. like Instagram, Facebook, and all of that. Mm -hmm. And you essentially want to um, sort of define to yourself, like where, what is the path that you should be directing some of your social media um, outreach marketing campaigns, right? Yeah. You want to be more prophetic in a sense you know establish yourself as someone with a good reputation for knowing what they're talking about mm -hmm. and then establish a following and then a loyal following yeah because content marketing is all the rage now yeah and you know it's but it's already too much content so what happens when there's so much content the the cream of the crop rises to the top yeah and that's hopefully you stay there yeah, and 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 the power is how do you use the internet? How do you use social media? Mm -hmm. Some of the latest technologies that are up there. I mean, I wouldn't say latest because mm -hmm. I don't know that latest anymore. But mm -hmm. some of the power of the internet to be able to uh, augment that the results, right? right? Let's talk a little bit about. Um, so you you have a deck, right? And let's refer a little bit to your deck because. 
we've 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 addressed a little bit on on the business model, um, and I want to talk a little bit about what are your biggest challenges right now to grow in Lambas. So, uh, as I mentioned, I spent three years in R and D. Mm-hmm. We've launched for almost a year now. We've been in market for about a year. Yeah, and so far it's been all entirely bootstrapped and. Mm-hmm. I'm the solo founder, so okay. it's been run almost completely by me, uh, up to date. Yeah, and you know, there's only so much time I have, only so much you know mental energy and etc. Yeah, so yeah, there's only so much I can do. So our challenge would be to raise funds for one the next batch of um, goods and mm-hmm. two hiring a team who can take some of the workload off my hands. Okay. Right. And what are some of the workloads that you're looking to pass on to the people that you are looking to bring into the team? So, Limbus is a meal replacement, right? It's a full meal and drink. But Mm -hmm. why do people use it? Um, So, I want to say something about uh, Limbus, right? Mm -hmm. So, most people don't know that they have a purpose in life. Okay. Or that they and you know and that they are supposed to find and pursue the purpose. Mm-hmm. That's how they find uh, fulfillment and happiness. Most people, you know, from young, they just told to go to school, get good grades. Uh, what do you go to good grades? Get a good job, and then just push your your salary amount higher and higher. Yeah. Get a good house, good family, and some and most people find that you know. Um, even along the way, they they are super unhappy. You know, yeah. this is not this is not making them happy. Uh, they don't find fulfillment and they they wonder and they know that something is missing yeah but they don't know what happiness in life is the holy grail that everybody's trying to pursue exactly. <laughs> but nobody nobody has told them what it is and and then yeah they just end up feeling lost and miserable for decades okay and founding lembas was the trigger point that gave me my purpose okay you know it was finally uh, creating something that was useful to other people yep. or value to other people and and then all of a sudden it just came out to me and it's like you know people were I, I had finished the product I put it out into the market yeah. then people e- emailing me and saying you know this this product is great you know it's it's saving me time it's um it's keeping me full when otherwise I would have skipped meals or gone hung or yeah uh, just had a coffee or a snack and yeah you're doing a great job uh, keep doing it, and then I was like, "Wow, you know what is this feeling? It's it's fulfillment, yeah. right? It's um, fulfillment comes from when, from when you're helping other people, right? Joy is from when you buy a new car or get a new yeah. It's just a temporary thing. Yeah, but fulfillment is from when you ha- when you help other people, and then it's it stays there. You know, no one can ever take that away from you. Yeah, and. To me, that's the ultimate expression of a uh, person's life. Yeah. So essentially, it's like fulfillment in life. You want to make life more meaningful. Mm. Um, and I suppose that vision is essentially what you want to instill in the people that you bring to the organization. As you raise funds, you go on to grow Lambas yeah. um, and instill that same vision with fulfillment in life. Exactly. Well, Alvin, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Asia Tech Podcast. 
Absolutely. Pleasure's all mine. Thanks so much. <laughs> and good luck with the fundraise. Um, and we look forward to seeing more of Lambas here in Singapore. Definitely will. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>